we have a lot of emotion tied into food. And thanks a lot to the food police, right? Like if someone is saying good or bad and judging you, it's hard not to get emotional about it. Welcome to Somatic Digest, the podcast, the place you come to find love, joy, and acceptance in your body. I'm your host, Kim, a registered dietitian whose mission is to bring tangible tips for you to build the ideal relationship with your body. I'll be sharing principles to connect you back to your natural state of being. We will honor emotions and create conversations that will allow your nervous system to relax. Throughout the episodes, you will develop an understanding to what your body is truly telling you. I'm so grateful you're here. Be sure to subscribe. Now let's get to the show. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. I'm really excited about this podcast episode. Today, we are going to be diving into the different food voices that we all have. This is going to be a good podcast episode to save. You might want to grab a notebook and take some notes and even share this with one of your good friends. This is going to be one of those episodes that helps you identify what the voice is in your head so that you can really lean more into your intuitive eater. I'm going to be sharing each one of the food voices that we all have and then how they are helpful and how they are harmful. I love the book, The Intuitive Eating Book, that was written by two registered dietitians. So all that means really is the registered dietitians are the specialists when it comes to all things food. A registered dietitian is the one who puts out the information I'm more likely to follow that because I know through through my experience that they've done the work, like they understand how food works so that they see the research and the impacts based on the information that they're putting out. So when I stumbled across intuitive eating and was like, whoa, this is backed by registered dietitians, I knew that it was the holy grail. <laughs> and so I love the book intuitive eating. And it really breaks down all the different principles. Talking about these different food voices, the authors had done a really cool way of bringing awareness or like giving a snapshot of how this looks in our everyday life. So I just want to give the credit there because I want to share this in case you haven't read the book or you're not sure of what I'm talking about. So in the book, they're talking about you go to a party. And this, this scenario is so common because we've all done this, right? You get invited to an elaborate dinner at one of your friend's house, and it's going to be like you're having cocktail hour. There's a widespread of appetizers. You're going to have a nice dinner and you show up overly hungry, right? And I can relate to this because I'd be like, well, so-and-so is going to have this widespread of appetizers. We're going to have like a three-course dinner. Like I don't want to ruin my appetite, right? And here's how the voices come in for you. So the food police says, you better be careful. Everything is bad for you. Don't touch the appetizers. And if you even have a little bite of the cheese, you're going to overeat. 
So watch out. And then the nutrition informant says you shouldn't have any cheese because there's too much fat in it and the salt will make you feel bloated. So you can really only eat the raw carrots and the raw celery from the veggie tray. The diet rebel says, no one's going to tell me what I can and cannot eat at this party. I hate the stupid diets where I was only allowed to eat the vegetables. Tonight, I'm going to say F it and I'm going to fill up on all of this amazing food and I don't really care what the consequences are. Then the food anthropologist says, look at the interesting spread of appetizers. All of them look great. And I'm overly hungry, so I better eat something or I'll probably eat past my fullness and overeat at dinner and I will not be comfortable. Now, the nutrition ally says, I don't think I'll have any cheese or fried appetizers tonight because they will make me feel too full for dinner. So I'll have some crab and veggies and then I'll still be hungry for dinner. Now, the nurturer says, This food looks terrific. I want to taste all of it. And it's scary to feel such an overwhelming desire to devour all those appetizers. This is normal to feel this way because I'm ravenous, right? You showed up to the party and you're feeling really hungry so that you know that this is normal and that you're human. Now, the intuitive eater really takes on all of this. So this is what we're really striving to become. And the intuitive eater sounds like I'm starving. I don't want to feel too full. And I really want to enjoy the dinner later. So let me just see which kind of appetizers look great. Ooh, that looks good. I haven't had pizza in a long time. The baked brie looks amazing. I think I'm going to have them both. But the pizza's kind of soggy. So I'm only going to try it and realize that it's soggy and I'm not going to enjoy the rest of that. So I'm just going to throw that out and maybe I'll try the stuffed mushrooms. I wanted to start the podcast episode with this snippet from the intuitive eating book because it really gives us an insight into knowing that we all, every single one of us has these different voices in our mind. And this is how the food beliefs come through or the food choices or the food rules that I always talk about. This is what I'm talking about, these voices. And there's different times that we're going to have, like we might have more of the food police and less of the intuitive eater at different phases of our life. Just like I said, I I said a quote on last week's episode where I was saying we worry so much about the critic in our mind that I don't think it's much about the critic. It's more about the mind or that voice that's going to get you out of critiquing yourself. So I like to call it the wise mind. You might hear it as like your higher self, just that compassionate mind. And I like to think of that as like we can loop in your intuitive eater into that as well, because your intuitive eater voice or this like nurturing, compassionate voice is really a soft approach to get us out of critiquing ourselves. So, all right, let's break them down. So the first one we're going to talk about is the beloved food police. (laughs) 
Oh man, this is the common one. This is the common food voice that we have. And it's really the judge, like this heavy weighted voice. Maybe it's like the jury, someone that is going that the that voice that says this is good and this is bad. And how this kind of comes about is from social media, from friends and family, from the news, from magazine articles when you're checking out at the grocery store, any of that type of marketing. It could actually also be labels on like packages of food because any thing that's basically judging a food for good or bad is the food police. So it sounds like don't eat at night. I better not eat late. I better not eat past seven because eating past seven is bad. Don't eat the bagel. Bagels have too many carbs, so I better not have a bagel. I better opt for a thin piece of toast instead. You didn't exercise today, so you probably shouldn't eat pizza for dinner. It's not time to eat dinner yet because it's not, or most typically it's lunch. It's not time to eat lunch. Like you're hungry at 10. It's not time. It's not noon. So you can't have lunch. You ate too much, even though you're like body's telling you that you're hungry. So it really critiques and judges every single action that you have. And it's not helpful at all. It really creates this inner war, like this mindset war that keeps you at war with your body and with food. And it doesn't ever turn into like a helpful friend. Like it's always someone that you are going to be at war with because it's the whole point of that. Like when you think of a jury, there's no gray thinking, right? Like it's either guilty or innocent. There's no like, well, maybe they were kind of guilty, but they didn't really mean it. Like, no, no, they're guilty. That's it. That's exactly what this food police is doing. They're saying good or bad. There's no in between. And if you can gather from listening to all my different podcast episodes, we're really, and especially if you work with me, like we're trying to get you into the gray. Like we're, I'm trying to help you expand your way of thinking, have more compassionate approach with your body and food. And that requires a lot of gray thinking because life, in my experience, is not this or that, good or bad, black and white thinking. So the next one that we'll talk about is the nutrition informant. Now, this one provides you with like research or evidence that keeps you within the guardrails of your diet. So this is often a voice that will, it sounds like it's helpful, but you really want to get into if it's really helpful. So for an example, like let's say that you are doing a diet that you are counting some sort of like macros or calories or something like that, right? So you have created guardrails for yourself to stay within a certain calorie range or, you know, X amount of carbs a day, however that looks. So the nutrition informant's going to make statements on like checking, you better check those macros because making sure that any sort of deviation 
out of the guardrails is unacceptable, right? Or like we cannot eat any food with sugar. So it's really, it's, this is, this one is a little bit harder because it's almost understanding the motive behind what you're doing. Now it works very closely with the food police because now you have gathered information. Like let's say you're looking at a granola bar and you find, oh my gosh, it has 30 grams of carbs. Okay. So this has 30 grams of carbs, but I'm only allowed X amount a day. It couples with the food police because now the food police is going to judge the food based on what the nutrition informant found. Crazy, right? So it's really operating like we're doing this for health, but it's not really promoting unconditional permission to eat food. You want to be mindful about how is this rule making me feel, right? Like if it's good or bad or causing like guilt or shame or like almost like you're telling up like, oh, okay, I I was good today. I hear that all the time. Like, oh yeah, I was good today with my food choices. Then you can see that the nutrition informant is gathering data to basically share to the jury, the food police, to rule against your eating habits. Now, it can be helpful. It it can be helpful because it turns into the nutrition ally when you no longer have the food police. So in my program, when I take you through, like we are working on unconditional permission to eat food, meaning we're breaking down this food pedestal that we all have and challenging the food police. Like there's no more good or bad. The nutrition informant becomes the ally. Because let's say that you were, actually, this is a real life example because I've started to do like a fun, I love to just investigate like, okay, the marketing on food. So I'm going to be doing some things like maybe some fun real series on my Instagram. If you don't follow me at the somatic dietitian, I was thinking about chicken. So typically if you eat meat or you buy chicken, sometimes you might find that the marketing on chicken likes to say natural. Now, I remember this when I was in my undergrad studying to become a registered dietitian, we talked about this. And I was like, it's interesting that they would market that this is a natural product. What's unnatural chicken? Like, I I don't understand. It would be like, it wouldn't be chicken, right? It would be like, you know, like, for example, the plant-based, like a veggie burger, right? That's not called unnatural beef. Like, that doesn't make sense. It's called a veggie burger. So it's, I think it's so interesting And this is how it happens where the food police, we grab onto that word like natural chicken. And then we think in our human mind, oh, this is good chicken. But honestly, isn't all chicken natural? Like, I I don't understand, you know? And I want to say, I fall for these gimmicks too. Like, I fall for this and I'm like, woo, the packaging on food Marketing works, my friend. It works. The colors work. The fonts work. 
It all works in our ways, but it also works to fuel the food police. I say all that to say when Azure Nutrition Informant turns into the Nutrition Ally and you're looking at two different products. So if you're looking at like a chicken, chicken in one package versus chicken to another, and you're truly comparing the difference of the chicken, this is where you can start to decide which one you prefer to have. Not because one is good or better than the other, but because it's your preferred choice. So for example, like there's a couple different chicken uh, brands, I guess, that I like to buy. One I like to buy because it's local. Another one I like to buy because it's been like air chilled and less water chilled. So the texture feels different to me. The flavor tastes different. None of them are because I'm like, ooh, this is natural chicken. This one is doesn't have natural on there. This one, you know, whatever the case may be. Like, I think you get my point. But that is how it starts to become the nutrition ally over the nutrition informant. Third one is the diet rebel. Ooh, the diet rebel. I feel like we've all seen this one because if you have done a diet, then you have experienced the pendulum swing when you're like every single thing that you have once made off limits, you're like, yep. I am, I don't care about those rules anymore. Forget it. I am going to eat all of it, right? So it's like no more broiled salmon anymore, no more plain lettuce. Like I'm going to see how many cookies I can eat until my stomach hurts. Like I can't wait for my husband or partner to go out of town because I'm going to eat all the macaroni and cheese and all the ice cream on the couch. And I don't even care like I'm doing it all. It really feels to me like that rebellious teenager. And if you're a parent and you have teenagers and like, you know, that phase, like I remember me when I was a teenager, I was a hellion. I didn't, I was rebelling. I didn't care about what my parents would say. Like, this is what we're supposed to do when we grow up is challenge the boundaries. And so dieting, we create a lot of rigid boundaries and the diet rebel is challenging all of those boundaries. So it can really be hurtful in the way of action of continuously acting out, right? And what's hard with this is when we don't have the support to understand intuitive eating, like all of us want to get back to intuitive eating. And I say get back because, because it's our natural way of eating. So when we go on diets and then we no longer can stay with these rigid boundaries and we get off the diet and we experience a lot of the double, the, the food rebel, I was like, it sounded like I was going to say devil, which I guess is kind of similar, but the food rebel, it's hard for us to understand like, what are the boundaries, right? Because like, well, we've set boundaries before and like, I can't eat that. I can't eat this. And then we know, well, that caused us harm or we still experience guilt and shame and we were overeating. We feel like we're addicted to food. So now we're seeing that we're rebelling against all that, but rebelling doesn't feel good either. So it's really understanding like what 
are your boundaries without feeling that self-destructive, like rebelling, aggressive kind of state. It can be really helpful because having boundaries is good. And when it comes to anything, body image, food, self-acceptance, there's a lot of things that people say to you that you want to have this diet rebel ally coming in. Here's an example. So one of my clients that I'm working with will have like coworkers or friends, all of us have experienced families make comments, right, about our food. Like, let's say you don't want to get seconds, but your grandma's like, you better eat more or you're so skinny or don't, this is your favorite or you didn't need enough or whatever. And it can go the opposite. Like, oh my God, you're going for seconds. Oh my God, how are you so hungry? Or I can't even, I would never eat that. Any of those comments. Here, and this is what my client and I are working on, is really cultivating the rebel ally because you can make the boundaries and use words instead of acting out in a way, like instead of rebelling against other people, like I don't care what so-and-so said, I'm going to have three more courses of macaroni and cheese because they told me not to. And like internalizing that, instead you can just accept that most likely it's someone else's diet rule and they're probably really envious that you just are not so constricted when it comes to food. And they're like, oh my God, how are you just like enjoying the macaroni and cheese and not worrying about it? And you're like, I don't know, because I am in, I went through intuitive eating. I worked with this dietitian, like I got it all figured out and I'm really just not worried about it. So it's really telling your family members Hey, you know, I'm I'm hungry or I love this. I'm not really concerned about, you know, macaroni and cheese or I'm not worried about the noodles. I'm not worried about the cheese. Like I'm fine with this. So like please don't make comments about it or you know, however you want to set your boundary and we definitely work on this in my program, but everyone is going to have something to be said about food. And In my experience as a registered dietitian, like I, you guys, I think about food, I talk about food, I analyze food all the time because it is my passion. And so many people will be like, oh, you're a registered dietitian. And then it's almost like they want to know my, my opinion, but everyone has an opinion on food because everybody eats. Really, all of our truths are different. Like, So just understanding that someone else is going to have their own experience with that food and it says more about them than it does about you. So don't internalize it. All right. So the food anthropologist. Now, this one is just similar to like what I call the wise mind. Now, the wise mind, higher self, however, just that like very compassionate observer, right? That's like another one. An astrologer, Deborah Silverman who I love, she always talks about the observer. Like that's all this is. This is just the voice that makes observations without judging. So this is one that's like very respectful. It's just observing it with like an exploration and like looking to discover something. So let's say that you find yourself 
starving at 10 o'clock. You're like, oh my God, I'm starving. What happened this morning? Why am I so hungry? Usually I don't usually get hungry till like 1130 or 12. Like what is going on? This observer mind can help you get curious and discover that you didn't eat breakfast in the morning. Like, oh my gosh, I was so busy. I had to get the kids off to school, drank my coffee, didn't eat breakfast. No wonder why I am so hungry. Or, oh my gosh, last night I ate 10 cookies. No judgment, observing, just the facts. I like to always think about if anyone's in healthcare, this is what I think about. So in healthcare, when you're like charting something or writing notes, you strictly just write facts. Even if someone was rude to you, like let's say someone, someone, a patient was mean to me and they said something I would simply in quotes, like say what the patient said, but none of my emotion on it. So that is what you're working towards. You're working to take the emotion out of it and just simply state the facts without making it say anything about you. Because maybe at one point in time you overate, but it doesn't add or subtract from your worthiness. It's just simply the truth of your experience. It's good to maybe even keep a log on this point. Like if you're really trying to understand like, okay, what do I feel like? How how often am I hungry? How can I figure this out? Keeping a journal, like keeping the facts. I love to do this stuff for like when I go to therapy and I'm looking at maybe some things that are triggering. I like triggers, if you've ever experienced anything like that or emotional triggers, they're emotional. Like it's hard at times to not get all wrapped up in the emotion, but I like to kind of map out the things that are happening so that I can see it without letting my nervous system get so activated. So you can do things like that. Like, okay, so I was hungry and then I ate this, or maybe I, I ate 10 cookies and then working backwards. Like when was the last time you ate? And just really taking this food anthropologist to really understand how the how the facts are without emotion. Now, this is really helpful because it helps you really see the truth. And this is a lot of the work, too, that I do in my program, because we have a lot of emotion tied into food. And thanks a lot to the food police, right? Like if someone is saying good or bad and judging you, it's hard not to get emotional about it. Now, the food anthropologist is helpful because it's really just stating the facts without the food having anything to do with us or our worthiness or, you know, our value. It's really just using a critical voice to think about, okay, yeah, this is very neutral, non-judgmental, and really just looping in the way of thinking without judgment. Okay, so the nurturer. Now, the nurturer is exactly what it sounds. It's very compassionate and soothing. So I like to think about this as like your grandma, maybe, or like very mothering energy. Eating cookies is normal. Or even, oh my God, good job. I'm getting more in touch with my hunger cues every day. Or even this compassionate thing like, okay, maybe 
I overate too much today and I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable, but thanks to the food anthropologist, I realized I went a long time without eating. And then this nurturing voice comes in and says, it's okay. It's okay to have overeaten today because now we know we didn't eat very often throughout the day. And now we just know that maybe we need to grab a few extra granola bars to keep in our backpack. That is this compassionate, soothing voice that is going to really tell you that everything's fine, everything's going to be okay. And it's never scolding you or judging you or making you feel guilty or shameful based on something that you did. It's very compassionate. It's really helpful because when you get in touch with your, you know, this compassionate side, this is really the most significant voice that helps you on your intuitive eating journey because it can give you like a compassionate approach to those like hard critical voices that come in from the food police and you know if the diet rebel instead of the diet ally so it's good to practice this and know like it takes time for this compassion to come through because we are used to being self-critical and and it's not just our mind that comes in with the diet police or the food police it's also other people's media news like there's a lot of other voices that are contributing to the food police so all of these voices impact your intuitive eating journey and i'm going to be wrapping up this episode here, just a few more minutes. I know this one's a little bit longer, but it's really educational. So I'm glad that you stuck around for it. But the intuitive eater really speaks to the reactions in your gut. And you're we're all born with intuitive eating. Again, I really believe that intuitive eating is just the natural way of eating, but we have suppressed our sensations like hunger and fullness and really tried to manipulate our cravings because of the voices like the food police and the diet culture rebel. So these positive voices that come through, like the food anthropologist and really observing your eating behavior without judgment and being more compassionate, really help develop your rebel ally and that nutrition ally. This is why in my program, like I I know a lot of times when people join my program and they're like, all right, working with a registered dietitian, we're going to we're going to spend a lot of time focusing on like the healthy food that I can eat. And that's where we end in my program. And the reason is because we have to work on transforming your diet rebel into your diet ally and really working on releasing the grip that the food police has on your mind and your food choices. And and we do that through making peace with food so that you really have that nutrition informant that is basically me. Like I come in like your nutrition informant to tell you, okay, I'm going to inform you about food, but I don't want you to need a, a diet or a dietitian your whole life. Like I want to give you the skills so that you know what you can do and then you can teach your kids 
You can teach your family. You know, you can lead by example. That is my whole mission on this. And I want you to do it with like a very fluid approach because diets are rigid. We've all experienced this rigid, really strict boundaries. And intuitive eating is so fluid and it adapts to the different seasons of your life, whether it's you go on vacation, whether it's you had a baby, whether it's you're in school and your life is really crazy or you're working and your workload is crazy and your kids have softball and wrestling and soccer. Like, how do we do all this and manage our health? The answer is intuitive eating. I hope that you learned a lot about the different food voices. I hope this was really informative. Uh, Please share this with your friends so that they can learn these different voices. And as always, we'll chat with next week. Hey, before you go, I want to personally invite you to apply to my nutrition coaching program. If you're struggling with overeating, binging in sweets, and feeling addicted to food, then you're a perfect fit for my nutrition program. My program is a one-on-one nutrition-focused coaching program where you work very intimate with a registered dietitian. I have helped women heal their relationship to food and their relationship with their body. Through the principles of intuitive eating, I bring in inner child healing and the gene keys. We really put you at the center to get to your personal struggles and really embracing the root of the problem so you can feel free with food, you can have fun with food, you can stop obsessing and really cultivate a life where you're not feeling shameful or guilty involving food. 